Amen. You may be seated. Okay, so this is um, this is one of those topics we're talking about um, reconciliation today. This is one of those topics that, as followers of Jesus, we just need to consistently work our muscles. This is a muscle that can get weak quickly. Um, any of you who've ever um, done any exercising. You all know that there's parts of your body, the moment you leave, leave the gym for an extended period of time, that that part gets weak immediately. Mm-hmm. And reconciliation, I have seen in my experience as a follower of Jesus, is one of those muscles that get weak quickly. And it's one of those, um, those practices, those habits that we just need to be in the habit of doing. And so I think what we're going to share today, I do think it's important that there, 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 there's a degree of nuance about what we're talking about. So first and foremost, when, when I'm talking about reconciliation, I am talking about between good standing people. So if Tim is abusing me physically or emotionally, and it is no longer a safe place for me to connect with Tim, I'm not advocating if you have that person in your life that you seek reconciliation with them. At times you just need to learn to forgive and let them live their journey because it's a dangerous situation for you. Second, if they're just dangerous altogether, if they're just a dangerous person, like if, if the FBI is looking for them, then why do you need to reconcile with them right now? You just pray for them. You just pray, say, God help them figure out their situation. So again, as I'm talking today, I really want you to hear that because sometimes, especially in church settings, a number of people have been wounded and hurt because churches have sent people back to dangerous places because things just weren't explained well. You know, you just, you weren't being like, oh yeah, man, go back and get punched in the face. Yeah, keep doing it until the Lord, geez, love requires us to seek justice. And so we want to be a people of love. And Jesus would call us to be a people of love. Now, most of our situation, we're not engaged in that sort of situation. We're engaged in regular church conflict, which is awesome. Not awesome when you're in it, but it's awesome nevertheless. Let's look at Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. Can I get someone to read it? Verse 23 to 24. Matthew chapter 5, verse 23 to 24. Ellen, did you volunteer or did you touch your headband? I touched my head. Okay. Okay, <laughs> Matthew five twenty three to 24. I'm sorry, I just didn't know. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and then there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. Amen. So we read that, and I think... Sometimes it's easy not to take a passage like that serious. But what what Jesus is encouraging the church here is if you know your brother has something against you, leave your gift at the altar and go be reconciled. If you know your brother has something against you, and that's the Greek word um, adolphi, which is also can be translated sometimes as sister. If you know someone has something against you, Leave your gift at the altar and first go be reconciled. That feels so radical nowadays. 
You're like, hey, they got a problem with me. They ain't bring it to my front door. I ain't going to deal with it. And you just keep going on with your life. You don't actively go and say, man, you have something against me. What is going on? How can we fix the situation? Can I get someone to read Romans chapter 12, verse 16? Romans chapter, go for it, Lenny, 12, 16 through 19. 16 through 19? Yeah. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends. But leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. Not fired up, but fired up. Let's go. Um, these two passages that we just read. One, if your brother has something against you, leave your altar. And then here, so far as it is concerned by you, be at peace with all people. When we think about our discipleship, would you, would you say that that's something... When you think about your relationship and your, and your journey in this church, would you say that's something that you normally see? Let's speak macro. You don't need to necessarily speak about Casco Bay. Maybe you can't speak about Casco Bay. It's all being recorded anyway, so that's good. Macro, is this something you've seen that people are like, yeah, you know, I've seen that people take this, this passage of reconciliation dead serious. Or, nah, you know, I don't know. It's one of those things that could easily get overlooked. What has been your experience with these two passages in particular? Amen. Amen. That's good. That's good that that's been your general experience. Yeah, I think in my experience, um, even coming, like with the experience of being in different regions growing up and, you know, as an adult, I have in general, similarly, I, I've seen the, the importance that's put on it. You know, even if it's just like, hey, I'm feeling these things with this sister and I'm struggling, like the encouragement of, hey, you should go and talk that out or, hey, I'm Amen. I mean, anyone else, their experience. So largely, it could feel like it's been yielded to. Anyone else want to share their experience with this particular passage? You could be the negative one if you want. Be like, no, nah, I've never seen this lived out. <laughs> I've seen it happen, but sometimes it's not immediate as the scripture involves it. Mm-hmm. You know, it would be, you know, first or maybe not. Mm-hmm. Um, but then it Amen. We're going to circle back to that, but that's a good point, Lord. Is So when you think about yourself, I suspect most of us in here would say we're not difficult and we're easily, to, we're easily approachable. But, oh, I am not a difficult person. If you got an issue with me, please come and tell me. I receive it really well. I'm like joyful, like, whoa, I don't give you attitude. I give you nothing when you come and point something out to me. And you know what? I apologize if I'm wrong. So one of, my, one of my closest friends, he was a groomsman in my wedding. I, I text him, but I'm, I'm still not going to reveal his name. Uh, I text him, and we were in a disagreement. And then 
I said, I said, you know, as long as I've known you, at that time I've known him six years, I'm like, you know, I've never heard you apologize. I'm like, I never once heard you apologize. He's like, well, here's the thing. You don't got to apologize when you're not wrong. <laughs> and so his wife pulled up. His wife is like, you're never wrong? He's like, no. Then another one, one of the other groomsmen, now this is not at my wedding, but all of us are close friends, so we were all groomsmen. And so another friend came, bro, you've been wrong about this, 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 this. You just don't apologize. And then so we spent four hours at their place talking to him about how he never apologizes. And when he does apologize, he gives one of those, it's your fault apologies. You ever been in one of those situations? <laughs> you, you know, sorry you feel that way. <laughs> You're like, whoa, how did that become my fault? It's my fault I got hurt. That was him, right? Since then, he started apologizing. We got him books on apology. We did a whole bunch of things. We really, it, it, it was interesting. He grew up in a household. He told me it was okay to share, but I'm not going to share his name. He grew up in a household where his dad never apologized. His mom never apologized. So, of course, it's not in his vocabulary. He doesn't know how to do it. He's like, oh, I consciously thought this was the right thing. If you emotionally reacted poorly, that's your business, your fault. It wasn't me. You're weak. You're soft. You're sensitive. And you're like, gosh, bro, you're like a child of Satan. And... (laughs) He's grown, he's matured, he's an apologizer. But Romans 12 had to be put into practice. I'm grateful that even though it started in Jess, that we spent that four hours wrestling with this guy. That we wrestled with him like, you don't apologize. And he brought up examples, we brought, it was like four against one. And his wife was one of the four. And it was good, he, he, he apologized, God is working with him. <laughs> But you know what? If you would have approached him as much as you would approach any of us, I'm easily approachable. You can tell me whatever. Like, tell me, tell me, tell me like it is. Don't, don't beat around the bush. You don't need to build me up, et cetera. And, you know, that actually, I think, sincerely, is true for most of us. It may not be executed as, as, as well as we think, but I think all of us in here would love people to tell us the truth. Do it kindly. Do it with respect. But yeah, tell me exactly what you feel. Tell me exactly what you think, please. So we can have conversation. And so let's go to Matthew 18, verse 15. Because again, reconciliation first and foremost starts off with recognizing there's a problem. That there's a problem in the relationship. You know, this is a passage we often use for church discipline. But at the core of this particular passage, reconciliation is what's being spoken about. Can I get a volunteer to read verse um, 15 through um, 20? Matthew 18, verses 15 through 20. Go for it, Barb. Be done 
by my Father in heaven. For where two or three gather in my name, there am I with them. Amen. So in order for this passage to work, we all have to humble our hearts and be ready to submit to one another, right? Like this is really the core of this particular passage. Now, we've used it for church discipline, but I think what Jesus is alluding to more is what we do in our community groups. And so let's just say we're, we're in community group. I'm sitting here, and Fred and I are having a discussion. Fred said something snarky. Fred would never say anything snarky, but he said something snarky. <laughs> then I say, Fred, that was really snarky, bro. Like, that hurt my feelings. Well, I'm sorry you're sensitive. Whoa. I don't feel good about that, Fred. You hurt. Now I feel offended. Can you apologize that you offended me? I'm not going to apologize. So Lenny's in my community group, and so is Anna. And they were right there when it was happening. And I say, hey, Lenny, did you see what just happened? Yeah. Wasn't that snarky? Yeah, that was totally snarky. Fred tries to explain to Lenny. Lenny's like, well, that's still snarky. Then we, we bring Anna in the situation. Anna's like, yeah, you know what? I think that was snarky. And Fred's like, well, all of you guys are sensitive. Like, what's the problem? Steve is being sensitive. We're not going to cater to Steve. You know, just because he's the minister don't mean whatever. Now, if we can't even do community together anymore, I'm like, I want to be around Fred. I hate Fred a little bit. I know I got to work on my heart because I hate him a little bit. But I just don't even want to be around him. Now we're in the community group. And I say, guys, I got issues with Fred. Fred was being snarky. Anna and Lenny both saw it. Yeah, he was being snarky. Fred didn't want to apologize. Fred is like, yeah, Steve is super sensitive, and these are Steve's two buddies, and so they're ganging up against me. Here's exactly what was said. Then the ministry listens to what Lenny has to say about it, listens to what Anna has to say about it, listens to what I have to say about it, and we all kind of, through the spirit, you come into unison, Fred, you're wrong. You're wrong. You need to apologize. Fred is like, I'm not going to apologize. Now we treat Fred like a, a pagan or a tax collector and say, you can't come back to community group, bro. You are banished from the fellowship. And then we got rid of him. That's more or less what they had in mind in the first three centuries. Now we do it, we do it in a weird way. We just turned this passage into what we wanted it to be. But in theory, that's how it was supposed to work. That there was witnesses. Someone saw what actually happened. Now what do you do in case of no one's there? You still try to work through it. But this is more or less what they were trying to get at. And so the two or three that they're talking about here is me, Lenny, and whoever else is influential in our community group come together and we're like, yeah, I think he shouldn't be welcome back until something changes in his life. He shouldn't be welcome back. And we're like, okay, then Fred, moving forward, you're not welcome back in the community group. If you want to come back, initiate conversation with Lenny and someone else since he and I got the conflict, and then we can start working towards reconciliation. Does that make sense, guys, like how this is supposed to work? This is why the key word in there is witness, like who witnessed they saw something take place. And so... Just, just, just one thing. It's a little different. I mean, you said snarky and it said sin. You know, so it's, you know, it's a different. Snarky being rude. I would consider rude a sin. I would put rude, like, there's rude behavior if it was like water under the bridge. Oh, I apologize. I wasn't trying to be rude. And that's it. That's the end of this whole situation. But if it's, who cares? Like, if you come up to me, Lincoln, like, hey, don't talk to me, Lincoln. Bro, that was rude. Who cares? That's, that's when we move over into, oh, bro, that is, most of us won't even need three levels. 
Most of us are humble enough to be like, oh, that bothered you? That wasn't the intent. Oh, I totally apologize. I wasn't trying to be snarky. It's when it becomes heavy. Does that make sense, guys? All of it could be eventually turn into sin. But yes, if someone actually sins, like, so Fred came in there, punched me in the gut, and some other people saw that, that's still, <laughs> still not encouraging. I keep using violent imagery. Um, amen. Now I got distracted with the violent imagery. Let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Any questions before we go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5? So again, what I wanted to look at this particular passage in general is the community's involvement in reconciliation. Now, most of us, if we were ever put in a Matthew 18 situation, our spirit would almost instantly yield once we get to two other people saw you like, okay, very few of us will push back so hard and be like, no, no way. Anna and Lenny feel that way. Most of us be like, oh, so you guys thought that was snarky? Okay, bro. I apologize. That wasn't the spirit. You thought it was bad that I told him he was sensitive? Yeah. I apologize for that too, man. We're good. Most of us, it, will, it seldomly get there, though sometimes they may have to. And Jesus puts this here, not as a, you need to follow it to the T automatically, but a process for, how to, for us to continue community if someone is being um, destructive to the community through their behavior. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Can I get a volunteer to read chapter 5 beginning in, uh, beginning in verse, uh, I lost my verse. <coughs> Beginning in verse 16, 16 through 21. Chapter 5, 16 to 21. Go for it, Heather. So now, so from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ from in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, anyone, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation is come. The old is gone. The new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself. Now, obviously, this passage is talking more vertical reconciliation, like between man and God. But I think there's something powerful here, too, that horizontal reconciliation. We should be that that is one of our biggest testimonies to this entire world, how we reconcile with one another. Many of you just went through Thanksgiving and there probably were family members not present because they did not reconcile with one another. And they probably will never be present because they will not reconcile with one another. And so. Reconciliation is one of, the, one of the fruits of the gospel, that we become a people so eager to reconcile, so eager to be united and connected with one another. And again, the idea of reconciliation is that we become one. Doesn't mean we become uniform, doesn't mean we load, lord over one another, but we do become one. We become, we become able to partner with one another. And I think that's really important spiritually, that we become one. 
You know, in John 17, this is what Jesus prays for. He's like, I pray that they're completely one. I and them and you and me. Like this idea that the church is called to this deep unity. And again, you, you, you bring a whole bunch of people from different backgrounds and different challenges. This will always be difficult. So many of us are married to people that we are consistently reconciling with, which is good. Which is good. Like, okay, we're consistently working on being unified. We're consistently working on being close to one another. But we need that same sort of energy for everyone outside of our, the bond of our marriage. That we are like, okay, I, I know I'm always having issues with this person, but I'm going to keep reconciling. And so... We have a culture in our fellowship, and it's not unique to Portland, but I've seen it here as well, that there's, there's stages of reconciliation and how it works the best. And this is the unhealthy culture. Again, not everyone is, vic- not everyone is perpetuators of the unhealthy culture, but I've seen this. So who's the person in the church who always has to reconcile no matter what? The minister. This is the unhealthy culture. So if I, if I, as a minister, say anything offensive to any one of you, you're like, he's a minister. He needs to apologize. He need, so I'm held, I'm held to the standard that the scriptures actually teach, generally speaking, by the congregation. So if the scriptures teach, here's what reconciliation is. As a minister, everyone is like, you better do that. There's no, let me mosey in there. Let me figure it out. Let me try to, it's like, you better go fix that immediately. Because that's what the scriptures teach. Now, we don't have that same level of discipleship for everyone else for whatever reason. But for the minister, you better put that into practice. Who's the next person who needs to reconcile? The most wounded. So if you've been wounded the most, you need to go fix it. Now, the problem is no one knows who's wounded. No one even knows who's the most. Who's that. So now instantly we're stuck. So I'm in conflict with Lenny. He hurt me a little bit. I hurt him. Now we're trying to decide who hurt each other more. Do we even have to talk to each other? We're not in the same community group. Can we avoid each other? This is about a church of 70. That's how, how, how much can we tiptoe around each other without having to come across one another? And then we're missing out on the amazing blessing that God has in that relationship with one another. So if we could figure out who's the most wounded, then most people... Encourage that. After that, who's the most burdened? Who's weighed down by it? So, you know, sometimes, and I've seen this, and we're going to talk more about assumptions. I've seen people make huge assumptions about what people's motives are, what their spirit is. There was a good friend of mine. He broke up with his girlfriend. Not here, just to be clear. So if you start thinking about people here, they're not talking about anyone here. Broke up with his girlfriend. She came to church Sunday, and she was laughing. She was laughing. The audacity to show up two days after you break up and be in fellowship laughing as if there is a joke that could be that funny. So he comes over to me. You see, she's laughing about me, bro. I'm like, you think so? Yeah. Look at her. Her She's not spiritual. She's so ungodly. So she's laughing about you. You sure? He's like, yeah, I'm going to go find out. I'm like, hey, you're laughing, right? She's like, yeah. Were you laughing about anyone? No, look at this picture. I'm like, okay, then I went back. She's laughing about a picture. <coughs> Most of us stop there. We, we, we actually build people up. Yeah, she's unspiritual. How did she show up to church laughing? You're like, instead of like, let me try to destroy that assumption immediately. That was my thought. I'm like, I'm going to destroy this assumption. I know she wouldn't laugh at him. But you know what? Some people, even when they're grieving, they could still laugh. It, it's possible. 
You may say, well, I'm, when I'm grieving, I never laugh. Some people, my default setting, the more stressful the situation gets, the more silly I get. So I could be like crazy stressed out. You'd be like, Steve, you just heard all that bad news. Why are you cracking jokes? Because if I don't crack jokes, I'm going to cry, and I don't want to cry in front of you, so I'm cracking jokes. And you're like, okay, you're crazy. You're like, yes, show me mercy. And so I think it's really important that we understand that. The second, the second component of who needs to do this next is leaders. Like, so if you lead a community group, you lead a um, small group, you lead a Bible talk, it becomes a, oh, this person needs to practice reconciliation. Then after that, it's the mature Christian, then it's men, then it's women. But essentially, we come up with a lot of reasons not to reconcile. We just fill the whole situation up with not reconciling, and it becomes just the norm in our fellowship. Let's go to Luke chapter seven, Luke 11, verse 17. Luke 11, verse 17. Can I get a volunteer to read that? Luke 11, verse 17. Go for it, Bob. So Jesus knew their thoughts, and he said to them, Any kingdom divided against itself will be ruined, and a house divided against itself will fall. So a house divided against itself will fall. That's the same is true when we're not reconciled with one another. The house is divided. It will fall. You know how hard it is to want to build up God's kingdom, build up the church, do anything spiritual when you actually don't like people in the house? I've been in situations, again, with family members where you're like, oh, man, is this aunt coming? If she comes, we don't want to be here. It's just so discouraging being in events with particular folks. And so we need to be a people who destroy assumptions. I would argue that assumptions are lies that we tell ourselves about other people. It's like we said, I've already gathered this information about this person. And so here's what they are. Here's what they believe. Here's what they are thinking. Assumptions I've seen destroy marriages. I've seen assumptions destroy families. I've seen assumptions hinder and cripple churches. During the covid pandemic, um, a couple of weeks after George Floyd was murdered, I did not make a post about it on social media. I did not make a post about it on social media, though I have done, I did an event for our team ministry. We started a squad. We did all these other stuff. There was a lot of things that were being done, but I did not make an actual post about it on social media. Because if you look at my social media, guess what I don't do? Post. I don't post because I don't want to. I don't even know when I should. I, like some of you got like an internal clock. Like, oh, this needs to be posted. I don't know when I'm supposed to post. And so I don't want to burden myself with trying to figure out when that's supposed to happen. I don't know if I would read a good book quote. If I see a movie, I don't know when you're supposed to do that. I don't want to learn. So a good friend of mine, sister, gave me a call three weeks after George Floyd was murdered. And she just led with she's so hurt by what I've done and what I've not done. 
that I didn't post, I didn't communicate as a black minister in our fellowship, the hurt that we as other black um, brothers and sisters in the church were feeling, and where's your voice in all of this? Like, what are you doing to help our people? Yes, we're the church. Yes, we're all whatever. But man, you should have used your platform as a minister to further advance the gospel and speak against this sort of evil. And so I said, man, that's awesome. I thank you so much for calling me higher. But is this all about whether or not I post it or this is about if I did anything? And she's like, it's about if you did anything. Okay. So I said, you led with massive assumptions. I'm like, I wish you would have asked me what I did. Here's what I didn't do. I didn't post. So that's how you know I didn't do that because you went on my page and you didn't see it. But here's what we did. But I can understand from your perspective, not being in the region I'm in, wondering what I'm up to because I'm not posting about what I'm doing. And I want to keep inviting you to ask me about these things. But as you know, guess who was born February 16, 2020? She's like, I don't know. Steven, that is a milestone day in my life. Go check my Facebook. Is that there? No. Guess what day I got married? May 17, 2014, man. The Red Sea split. My wife came down the aisle with her parents, which was mad discouraging if you were there. And that's not on my social media. I'm like, I don't post things. I don't know when I'm supposed to post things. I'm not making an excuse, and I welcome you to continually call me higher. But I did do something, and I probably can always do more, but I did do something. But she made assumptions about what I did. And this just happens with all of us if we're not careful to check our assumptions. And so what usually causes assumptions? What do you guys think usually causes assumptions? Expectations vary. That's, you might have answered everyone's question. <laughs> Anyone else besides expectations? I think that our own insecurities. Yeah, that's a form of expectation, but yeah, get that one. Anyone else? What causes assumptions? Pride. You said what? Pride. Pride. Tim. Lack of information. Prejudice. Prejudice. Previous experiences. Yeah. You know, maybe that dude kicks in on me when we were five years old, and now he's 23 years old, and he cut me off in traffic. He's the same guy. He did the same thing. You know, he hasn't grown at all in his life. What else creates assumptions? Lack of forgiveness, past, yeah. If, the, if things in the past hadn't been fixed. You know, um, Fred mentioned prejudice. You know, a lot of times, and, and I'm not trying to get deep into the psychological world, a lot of times what assumptions create is what other people may have done to us. So another minister may have did this to you, and you assume I'm doing the same thing that minister did. Well, even if I did do the same thing, you think our motives are exactly the same. Like, yeah, that last minister did this to me. You, you're doing it for the same reason. And you talk to me and you find out, I don't even know that minister. And my reason was something else. But assumptions. And what perpetuates the, the bad assumptions? And, and, and not seeking reconciliation. Like continue it, make it keep happening. 
Good question, Heather. What perpetuates assumptions? Like, what prevents it from stopping in the moment and getting it resolved? I agree with talking to other people who, who affirm what you're thinking, but also not talking to anybody and just affirming it yourself over and over again. Yeah. Anna? Yeah, I say distance or time. Distance or time. Distractions. Distractions. I would say triangulation is number one. So what ends up happening is if I got an issue with um, Evan, I go to Lenny in the spirit of getting advice. Lenny, I got this issue with Evan. Evan is a jerk. What do you think he is? Bingo. And then we're done. And you're like, no one ever came back to Evan. Evan, you're a jerk. You need to fix your life, etc. It's just me and Lenny now confirm that he's a jerk and we're not going to fix it. And this a lot of times happens between spouses because usually we go to one another. If you're married, you go to one another. So you sit back. My wife may come in and be like, oh, my gosh, I got this issue with this person. Yeah, she's like a total um, meanie. I, I wonder if she needs to get baptized again. And then you're like, yeah, she does. Do, and then no one, no one is saying, oh, that's such a strong conflict you got with this person. When did you set up time to talk to them? Oh, I ain't set up time to talk to them. Why not? Clearly, this is bothering you. Let's go to look at Matthew, Matthew 5. You got this is bothering you. Like, let's be urgent about this. What if she don't listen? What if she do? What if it goes better than expected? What if it does? What if it goes worse? What if it does? We won't know until we do something. But triangulation, and then like Lawrence said, then sometimes we just tell ourselves. Like, ah, oh, man, nope, this is how it's going to go. This is how it always happens. And then we just get paralyzed, and then again, we have fractured relationships and we're not even close anymore. And we're wondering. And so I, I really want to encourage us. We have to be careful with getting advice when we really know what we really want to do is gossip. If you have no intention on circling back, if you've crossed over from advice to gossip. So if I really am going to come to you in confidence, like, hey, I got this issue. I don't really want to, but I'm really struggling. Like, do you think I should say something? Should I, should I not say something, et cetera? Cool. And then you go back and say something. But if you're like, I just want to talk about how this person is a burden and blah, 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 but I have zero intention on circling back, then it's gossip at that point. Because a lot of times when, we have, when, we're giving, when we're trying to get advice, we have to paint a certain picture, and we're painting a picture without hopes of fixing the picture if there is something there. And so I really want to encourage us, let's avoid gossip. But even if you're the person being called upon to get advice, I know it's weird. It could be awkward. Like I said earlier, when I began the lesson, it's like a muscle that if you're not consistently doing, it feels awkward. But you have to sit back and have enough integrity to follow up with them. So if one of you guys come up to me and be like, Steve, I want to get advice about this. I'm like, oh, man, okay. I got to have enough integrity to not hear them say this. Even if I encourage them, go talk to them. Did you do it? What did they say? I, I didn't talk to them. I'm not going to talk to them. And they'd be like, okay, well, then I got to tell you, man, that was gossip you just did because you're not, you have zero intention on talking to them, but you talked about them. And they have that awkward conversation. And again, we all said we're all easy to talk to. We're all easily approachable. We all want to glorify God. Let's go in there. And so how do we do it? 
How do we start reconciliation conversations? The, 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 the three words that most people hate. Can we talk? <laughs> you know, like, I've never gotten a text message that started with, can we talk? That didn't end with, here's how, or begin with, here's how you offended me the other day. <laughs> but it's a, so I know that's like cold for a definite issue here. You know, like, can we talk? Like, no, we cannot. <laughs> we can never talk. So start with, can we talk? Now, some of you in here, you've been following Jesus for a long time. So if you know you're defensive, when someone say, can we talk? You should go pray. You should instantly go pray. Because defensiveness does not, not make it easy to approach you for reconciliation. If you're like, am I defensive? If you have to ask that question, there's like a 90% chance you are. If you're like, I'm defensive, then there's a 100% chance you are. <laughs> if you're like, I don't know, then you're probably not. But if you have to know, am I defensive? Anyone who's asking that question usually is in my experience. Clear definitions when you start to talk. All of us are working with different words. Like if I told you guys right now, write your definition for what it means to be listened to, we're all going to come up with different definitions. And that causes a lot of conflict too because we're not working with the same words. So I say, I want to feel listened to. Some people here, I want, when they say, I want to feel listened to, you're going to admit everything I just said is true and you're going to change. Some people here listen and be like, you want all the words that you said to come in here and for me to compute it and sit on it and contemplate whether or not you're accurate. So again, we just need to just work with definitions. We all have different definitions. Let's just say, okay, when you say listen, what do you mean? Or when you say whatever. One of, one of the words that um, Lincoln and I had a good conversation about was validation. I hear validation as everything you said is 100% true. He hears it more as you can understand my thought process, and I might be misrepresenting you again, Lincoln, so you could correct me publicly. Um, you can hear my thought process and understand why I did what I did, because once you understand why I did what I did, then we can have a longer conversation. But for me, I hear validation like I'm admitting to what you're saying is true. It may not be true. And we may have to have a longer conversation. Did I get you correct, Lincoln, or did I misrepresent you? Good stuff. <clears throat> thank, thank you, bro. But it's really important that when you start the can we talk conversation, <laughs> you said I misrepresented you again? I said we need to talk. <laughs> <laughs> I need to talk. <laughs> I look forward to talking to you, Lincoln. Um, it's important when we start the um, let's talk conversation that we, when, when, when we're talking, we have clear expectations of where we've been hurt and what we're expecting to see change. Because sometimes we get to say, you hurt me in different things and this is, all of it needs to change. That's just not realistic, right? Like all of it needs to change. You're like, all of this, all of it, all of it. Just take it all back. And you're like, I don't know how not to be me. Is there a specific thing? So getting specifics is really important in terms of um, healing. Here's Steve's thought on what needs to happen with reconciliation. Both parties need to feel listened to. When I say listen, like you understood the words that were coming out of my mouth, whether or not you agreed with me, you understood the words that were coming out of my mouth. Second thing needs to happen 
is it's been made clear to you why the conflict exists. So sometimes, you know, some of us, and, and, I, and I've been in these situations a lot, again, in, in many different settings. Some of us, we just don't even know what's happening. We just don't know what's happening in our own personal life, let alone happening in a conflict. So you're like, I don't know what's going on. So it just needs great clarity, and that needs to be repeated. Like, okay, active listening, they call it. Like, let me regurg- not regurgitate, but repeat what has been said. And then I think what's really important is what does unity look like moving forward? Like, what does unity in this situation look like moving forward? I'll tell you what, uh, what is it may not be a healthy goal if you're not already close. You don't need to leave here as besties. Like, now you're going to be my best. But, like, what does unity look like for us to be in the same church, same community, same kingdom? Like, in new creation, I'm almost certain if you didn't reconcile here, God's going to put you next to that person. And you're going to be like, why them, Lord? And he's going to be like, fix it. No. He's like, you want to go to the other place? Nah, God wouldn't do that. He's not mean. <laughs> God is not mean at all like that. Okay. Before we, we kind of go forward a little bit, I want to talk about immature apologies and mature apologies. Because I recognize that this is, this is something until someone teaches you, how would you know, right? So here's the immature m- m- apology. I'm sorry if you were hurt. Why is that immature? Not taking responsibility. If you don't apologize and say, oh, I don't think I hurt you and have that conversation. But you don't need to say I'm sorry because you don't think it happened. Have that conversation. A mature response to apology. I'm sorry. I hurt you. Okay, I did this, etc. Immature. I'm sorry if there was anything that caused you distress. Again, not taking responsibility. Mature, I'm sorry I caused you distress by what I did. Okay, that's on me. I, I, I recognize, again, I'm not telling anyone to apologize if they don't agree that they should apologize, but don't just false apologize. That actually creates more hurt and more tension, a false apology. Immature, if I did anything that offended you, I'm sorry. Mature, here's what I did, the specific example I was wrong, and I'm sorry. The specific example. Immature. I'm sorry, but you did this. So, yeah, I totally would apologize, and I am apologizing, but you started it. And so it's like, that's not an apology. I'm sorry. That's, that's the mature response. I'm sorry. Um, immature. I'm only going to say sorry once. That's such a defensive posture on something you did wrong. That's such a defensive posture. You're like this, you, you just communicated you don't really want to have this conversation. Mature response. I'm sorry. And if we need to keep talking about it till we get to a place of peace, we're going to talk about it. Let's, let's talk. Let's work it out. Immature. I'm sorry, but what did you expect? Mature. I'm sorry, and you have every right to expect better of me in this situation. Oh, okay, we can move along. Immature, and I do this too because it's colloquial, but I want to be careful how I say this, um, and I've done this. I'm sorry, but I don't agree. Again, I just need to, oh, I don't agree. I just need to drop the sorry part. Like, I don't agree, and let's keep talking. Let's keep hashing out what it is. 
mature. I'm sorry, and you're right about this, and I was wrong. You know, those are some hard words to come out of people's mouths in America. Do you guys understand why we need to have solid apologies? It just creates the atmosphere where we can genuinely talk to one another and that we can create a healthy atmosphere to connect and, 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 and grow. Rubber meets the road here. I think, I think there's layers that, as followers of Jesus, we should always be aware of. Who do you think you hurt the most, generally speaking? Those you love, family, friends, spouse, children. I think it's a healthy habit, it's countercultural to the world, a healthy habit to ask those people, are we good? Are we good? Are we, are we all right? Spouse, are we good? Are we all right? Is there an area that you're feeling like, yeah, you know, actually, I did need to talk to you about that. Start with your household. Some of us need to talk to our children. I was talking to a good friend of mine, and one of his parents used to be an elder in our fellowship, and we were talking, and he said, I never want to be in the same church as my, my father, right? And then we were talking, he was sharing, blah, blah, sharing all the things that would, and, and he has children too, he has a couple of children. And I said, how would you feel if your son said that? Well, I wouldn't be like my parent, I'd be different, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, don't we all wish that, man? I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, it took me just two years to figure out my dad is in these bones right here, man. <laughs> With Stephen, I'm like, oh, my dad's here. Um, the good of my dad and also the challenging of my dad. Uh, and then I kept pressing on it. I'm like, so you would be okay if your son said, I never want to be in the same community of believers as you. I'm like, again, let's extend that further. The day of the resurrection, you're going to avoid your pops? And you want your kid to avoid you? I'm like, do you think this is Jesus' vision for the kingdom? I'm like, that sounds like Jerry Springer, bro. (laughs) Heather, don't ever find out, too. (laughs) You better not look that name up, Heather. I'm sorry I put that thought out there. (laughs) Said the pure, all things are pure. Heather, don't look it up. I am sorry, legitimately, I'm sorry, Heather. I, I, I should have had higher expectations for our fellowship, man. There were good people in this church, and, I'm, and you're one of them, Heather. Um, I lost my train of thought, Heather. Shoot. say Jesus is right all the time. It's also possible for me to be right. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I have been in many situations, particularly as a teacher, where people are offended by what I have said, not because it was wrong, 
Mm-hmm. Because they were offended by what the Bible actually teaches. Mm-hmm. Right down to it. And it's very difficult to be in a situation. Where, I mean, there have been many times when I've made mistakes, said things that are insensitive, done things that are insensitive, spoke unwisely, was unwise. I mean, there's no question about that. But there are other times when I'm accosted by people where I haven't done. I mean, it's not. I haven't done anything wrong. And uh, I'm not sure it's healthy to apologize for something. Mm-hmm. I just wonder. I don't. I mean, I'm not sure it's healthy for them to apologize for something where I'm not wrong. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'm open to to being challenged about it. I think this is, can't be simplified here. Yeah. So, again, let me just reiterate. Uh, I'm not asking anyone to apologize for something they don't think they should apologize for, just to be clear. I'm just saying, if you are going to apologize, do it righteously. Yeah. Um, for sure, as followers of Jesus, there will be things in this life where we stand on Jesus' principles, and that will be challenging, and people will, will feel intensely about it. So if you said marriage is between a man and a woman, that will offend certain people. And yes, as a follower of Jesus, you sit back and say, that's what I believe. I, don't, I will not hold this belief in front of you in a way to do evil against you, because I don't believe in that either, but that's what I believe. And so no apologies for what I believe. I'm talking more interpersonal, not off of a sermon per se, but interpersonal dynamic. Does that make sense? It's the interpersonal dynamic that I'm addressing. Whether spouses, family, church member, community group members, where people feel certain things with you and with one another. Does that make sense, guys? Yeah. Yeah, Um, Yeah, I I hear that. A little bit of a follow-up with Saying earlier, like for the example you gave, of, um, I think it was actually Fred being insensitive or, or calling you sensitive. Snarky. Yeah. Snarky. But, 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 like, with a response of, oh, Steve's just being sensitive. Obviously, in, in, the, in the example you gave, clearly you have somebody who's being defensive or, or in the wrong. Yeah. But, but what about, like, like Fred was saying, sometimes the person's not in the wrong. And the other person is just particularly sensitive and maybe misconstrued something. Um, That's where the witnesses will help. So in that same situation, the witnesses will help. So if we flip it, you and Anna being there, Steve, I actually think you are being sensitive. I don't think Fred meant it like that. And then hopefully I'd be like, okay, that was on me. I apologize, Fred. I think I'm just having one of those sensitive days. Does that make sense? So we would, the witnesses would be helpful in that regard to point that out, if I am being sensitive. Yeah, I think, um, I think in, you know, most situations like conflicts we run into, it's not usually very black and white. I, I mean, it's usually, there's usually some fault on both sides. In fact, you know, probably 95%, I would say. I, I don't know what the percentage is, but a very high percentage of the time. And, and I, I found that if, if I can, if I'm in the middle of, of some sort of a conflict, and even if I feel like, man, they're 95% wrong, you know, if I can find my 5% that I'm responsible for, you know, I could have, you know, 
even though I, I really feel like they're mostly wrong, um, you know, I could have handled this better, I could have been more sensitive, and, and to, to start the, the discussion, the conversation with an apology for my piece of it, what I see my piece of it, it just, it just opens up the doors for, for dialogue. And then very often, once I get through that initial little, little hump, you know, I realize, oh, I thought I was only like 5% wrong, but we come down to it, I'm like 80% wrong. Mm -hmm. You know, through the dialogue, I'm thinking a lot about you know, a lot of the conversations that I have with, with Irene, you know, when, when we have a conflict. It You're ninety percent like, of the issue. It seems like it, it just works out that way a lot. <laughs> and I, think, and I think it's true with other people. And I think we, we tend to go into these with a very black and white thinking. Mm -hmm. You know, you're right or I'm right. You know, you're wrong or I'm wrong. It's, and and I think most of the time it's not it's not that simple. And I think that exploring is good, but we have to initiate that. And that's more or less what this is about. Like, let's start initiating those conversations. Like, we'll figure out the percentages and whatnot. But a lot of times, outside of marriage, we don't resolve conflict with one another. Now, you got to resolve with your spouse largely because that's just a super awkward house to be in. Right? You know, you walk around like you have conflict near the coffee pot and you're like, it's going down. In church, you can avoid someone around the coffee pot. You know, like they're over there, they go, they, you see them go to the bathroom, you just wait. And then they come out to the bathroom, they walk, and then you go in. And you, but that isn't how it's supposed to be with the people of God. Fred? I think, um, you know, part of the key to this is, is back in this Second uh, Corinthians 5 passage. It's really interesting because it, it talks about the fact that we, we have a ministry of reconciliation. Yeah. We have been given a ministry. It is, it is part of our job as Christians to work at reconciliation. Yes. Whether, and, and it's interesting, Christ was right, and yet he, he, gave, he says, he gave us the, uh, all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself not counting their trespasses against them. Yes. In other words, this is whether whether I'm right or wrong, or whether you're right or wrong. The the, the focus has to be that both of us have been called to this ministry of reconciliation, and we've got to work to to where we where we don't count the other person's trespasses against us either direction. Yes. That's the, the that's mature the spiritual ministry, response. That's the ministry we've, we've been called to, and that's exactly what God has done with us, right? I mean, God has, God has come down, and he's found a way through Christ to reconcile us even when we're still sinners, right? And he can be reconciled to us, or we can be reconciled to him even though we're imperfect, right? This, this ministry, and I, I this... I mean, yeah. Amen. And so I think, again, where I think we see it the most is where I've seen it the most. And, I'm, and I am talking a little here, true, and I am talking just macro, where I've seen it the most. I have a lot of peers who grew up in the church and they got issues with their parents. And it blows me away that they say things like, I don't 
ever want to be in the same church as my parents. I'm like, that's crazy. It's crazy to me. Like if Stephen said, if I'm in the Casco Bay Church and Stephen is 23 years old and one Sunday he doesn't come through when he's in town, I'm like, oh, what happened? And someone told me Stephen probably got issues with you. I'm going to call Stephen. Hey, dude, what's going on? I don't really want to talk about it. No, talk to me. What's happened? What did I do? Oh, this and this and this. Oh, dude, I'm sorry. Or, oh, dude, nah, I'm not, I'm not, I, I, I don't know. Let's talk some more about this. I don't know if I agree with that. But let's keep talking. Let's work it out. Like, Stephen, the kingdom of God is too small for us to be in conflict with one another. Come to Thanksgiving. Let's do Christmas together. Let's play. Like, dude, I love you. I, I want all of that for all of us that are children if you have children, feel good in being in fellowship with us. But then I think on the flip end, even with the community group, when we were getting ready to organize the community group, I was surprised by how many um, considerations needed to be made because we haven't been pursuing reconciliation. So we had to make a ton of considerations. Like, oh, I can't be in the group with this person because, you know, and then, and it wasn't just one person. It was like, oh, but you know, and, uh, and I'm like, do they even know you feel that way? Do they, do they know? And it's like, they're, they're, we, we just got to pursue reconciliation. There's going to be blessings on the other end. And we have the scriptures to help us. We have community to help us. So if it, if it goes, then pull someone in. But like, okay, that, that, that was awkward. I, I still need some help. And so I really want to encourage us. Let's have like deep reconciliation to where these things is easy. Like these things are easy. You like, not, not reconciliation is easy, but when us doing relationship with one another is easy again, you know? Like who recently just moved into the church? Who? Yeah, I got no issues with um, Uriah right now. We just ignited new issues. <laughs> but you know, like, Natalie just got baptized. Shout out to Natalie. Who got beef with Natalie in this church? Nobody. Everyone's like, oh, Natalie's awesome. I don't know Natalie. She's amazing. That's, it should be that easy for all of us. Like, oh, yeah, you, you're awesome. And I get it. The longer we've been around, the more we hurt one another, especially if the, the relational dynamic gets closer. And the people we're closest to in the church actually hurt us the most. Say like, dude, you act, you, you're mean and et cetera, and you work it through and you love each other. You guys play a huge part in one another's lives and becoming like Jesus. Like, you guys know Stefan. He and I have had a ton of conflict, and he's the easiest person to get along with in the kingdom of God. We've had a ton of conflict. He's helped me grow in my walk with God to the nth degree because we've had a lot of conflict. We've had situations where I'm like, Bro, I struggle with fill in the blank. You know, the Owen's son, Brandon, one of my good friends, one of my closest friends. We've had conflict. He's helped me grow. I've helped, I think I've helped him grow. I hope I helped him grow. You know, there's been mentors in my life that I've had issues with. And it's awkward when they're older than you. You know what I mean? I get that. If any of you feel that, it's a little awkward. Like, Scripture says, talk to this person like a parent. How would I talk to my dad? My dad, and then you're like, okay. I don't feel like you're considerate, and I think you're mean. But I respect the ton out of you. <laughs> 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 
put it there. And you're like, okay, that went well. But we, we just got to have those conversations. Now, I think the flip, we have to be careful because um, where we are in society, unless there's a deep, meaningful relationship, to talk to someone like you're their parent when you're not their parent is highly offensive. Mm-hmm. Unless there's a deep, meaningful relationship. So if like, someone came up to me, I'm 36 years old, and no one here is my dad, I need you to sit down because I'm talking to you. You just lost me. That conversation, we're going to have to restart again another day. Like, in fact, I'm probably going to leave immediately because I don't want to get angry. So I was like, yo, you're, you're struggling today. I'm going to pray for you. And then we'll reset. Like, okay, don't approach me again like that. Don't tell me to sit down when I, when I feel like standing, etc. But if there's a deep, meaningful relationship, like you've been a father figure in my life, then maybe you do need to tell me to sit down. <laughs> my dad would never tell me to sit down, though, so I don't know how I would receive that. Um, but now you know a little bit more about me. My dad doesn't tell me to sit down. Um, Does that make sense, guys? So I really want to challenge us. If you think someone has an issue with you, just initiate. Just initiate. Like, instead of, hey, can we talk? I want to spend some time with you. That's become the new code word, but now you guys know the code. And then we sit and we come together. How's it going? How are you feeling about me? Is anyone concerned about initiating conversation with reconciliation? Amen. We're all fired up. No one's concerned about it. Tim's concerned. No, I don't. I want to make a comment, though. Okay? Yeah. Um, I, I want to keep in mind because you had mentioned like you have a comment with Stephen, right? Just things have to get rid of. Yeah. Uh, but I know this is just going to be a conversation and dialogue that we continue to have with one another. But to have like compassion and grace throughout this whole process. For sure. Um, also, not only in like calling people, talking to them, and, like can we get together? But also, like, in receiving it. Like, yeah. Kind of, um, I don't know. Yeah, Stephen has conflict with you, but you were like, oh, man, you're wrong. Like, being open and showing grace and compassion to the pain he Oh, for sure. Because um, I know that that can be a problem. I've had, obviously, we all had friends who have been hurt. But um, being compassionate and gracious towards the pain that they have, though. And like you said, it's not easy. It's also not fast. For sure. Yeah. And if I communicate it, I wanted us to speak to it, everything's okay. I'm not saying that. The part of the reconciliation is listening to one another. And when you listen, you'll find, uh, oh, even like Lincoln was saying, even if this, there's still a lot of that, and that wasn't what I was trying to do. You, like, once you actively start listening to what the person has been through, you really hum- it really humanizes them. If I agree with you, and it's not a rush. I think that also, um, you know, you, you've spoken several times about can we talk. There's probably, in a, in a relationship that's not settled, there's probably no good way to open that conversation. Mm-hmm. And so I think I've had to, over the years, train myself to not be offended by somebody opening the conversation. Amen. No matter how rough no matter how awkward, no matter the timing, like sometimes you're, you're you know, at a birthday party having a great time and someone comes up and it's just like, now is not the time. <laughs> but you know what? The fact that somebody comes to me and says that, I have to have enough grace to not let that offend me. Right? Yes. And I can train myself to do that. Yeah. And so the more 
I know this for myself, the more I've trained myself to be unoffended by the approach, the more people are can approach me. Absolutely. <laughs> and this is a two-sided coin, right? It, it, it's both, both people have to be determined to make that work. Amen. Amen, I agree. So. I think those were good thoughts. Barb? want to share for like like you shared when you've been around a long time I always think about you know everybody's got a different journey and has been through different things and I always think about how Jesus looked at the rich young ruler because it said the first piece was he looked at him and loved him and there have been times over the past 40 plus years where I've people not even knowing it or I've been hurt, but I think a lot of times, I know for me, if I preface, like I've really prayed about this, I can't get this off my heart, I feel like we're in conflict, or maybe have I offended you, like we're in this to get to heaven. And when people preface it, like, or, or the times when I'm like, I know I need to talk to this in this situation, and I prefaced it with that, because life is short, and I don't want to have this, you know, and I think that has helped in, in my walk with God, but also to know, like, it's taken a lot of courage for me to even come up, and it may be something that I don't know is going on in their life, and it just, you know, and, and I think so many times if we pray for that person, and we pray for our heart, that we just see God move. Amen. Yeah, there's a million ways that you guys have had experiences doing this, but I just want us to do it. Does that make sense? Like, take all the wisdom we have and that we're gaining here and just be a people who are actively known for our reconciliation. That we bring the oneness of Christ. Um, Tita, would you like to end us in a word of prayer? Amen. Amen. Amen.